0: I do want to continue our study of 2 Thessalonians by closing out the first chapter, looking at the concluding prayer that's in verses 11 and 12. But first, just a very brief review. I trust you picked up the notes as you were coming in, and this is going to be a very brief review. I'm going to move through this very rapidly. If you missed, uh, the previous two messages, this is only the third message that we've had so far in our study on 2 Thessalonians. You can go to the church uh, website, edgewoodbaptistchurch.us and uh, be able to uh, hear those messages and I would encourage you to do so. Uh, but let's remind ourselves first of the purpose of Second Thessalonians. It is to instruct the Thessalonians on how to respond to three issues that were threatening to disturb the peace of the church. In chapter one, the issue is persecution. Persecution. In chapter two, the issue is false teaching, and in chapter three, the issue is what we can call idlers—people uh, who thought they could just stop working and just simply wait for Christ's uh, return—and as a result, we're becoming a burden uh, on the church and sowing and sowing. Uh, discord within the church family. Now, the overview of 2 Thessalonians, in the first chapter, Paul addresses the issue of persecution by pointing the church to the comfort that they could find uh, from the hope of Christ's return. In the second chapter, he deals with the false teaching by bringing correction uh, concerning the time of Christ's return. Because remember, the false teaching was that they were already in the day of the Lord, that time of great tribulation. And so Paul uh, used that false teaching as an opportunity to bring correction on the timing of Christ's return. And then chapter 3, relating to those idlers, gives him an opportunity to bring command in light of Christ's return. Now in chapter 1, we discovered three ways that God does give us comfort uh, from or through the hope of Christ's return. Uh, first, we saw in verses one through four, the hope of Christ's return provides grace to endure our present trials. Provides grace to endure our present trials. Paul wrote in those early verses, "I thank God that what your faith is increasing." He said, "Your faith is increasing. Not only that, your faith is increasing, but your love is growing, for Christ and for one another, and that your hope." is persevering. You have not caved under the difficulty and the suffering and the pressure, Uh, but instead of whining, you've really shined for Christ, and He commends them for that. And we saw in those verses how God uses suffering in the life of a believer, how God uses suffering not only to prove the authenticity of our faith, that we are truly trusting in Jesus. We truly love Him and have placed our hope in Him But He uses that suffering also to grow those elements, to refine us, to conform us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ so that our faith, love, and hope can be what? Be put on display before the eyes of a watching world, that Christ would be lifted higher through our lives, magnified and exalted as we follow Him. And then, second, in verses 5 through 10... We saw that the hope of Christ's return promises reward to enjoy in the future. And this was our focus last Sunday. And we saw that when Christ returns, first it will mean vindication for believers. Vindication for believers. We will finally experience what we've been longing for. Relief. Relief from the world's ridicule. Relief from the world's reproach. Relief from all suffering and pain, to be the glorious bride of Christ. Our destiny to marvel at Christ and to reign and rule with Him in an eternal romance. But while it means vindication for believers, it means what? Retribution for unbelievers. Retribution for unbelievers who will be forever banished from the presence of of the Lord to pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Now, this brings us today to the third way we find comfort from the hope of Christ's return, and it is that it prompts us to pray. It prompts prayer to empower us along the way as we move from the present to our glorious reward. So, following your Bibles, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and look at this wonderful prayer in verses 11 and 12. Paul says, to this end also we pray for you always that our God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power in order that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him, according to the grace of our God, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The promise of future reward that we looked at last Sunday is an incentive to pray, to ask for God's grace to live a life pleasing to Christ as we wait for His return, as we wait for that reward. So where do we find the empowerment to travel the road of suffering that leads to glory? Well, the answer is prayer, and Paul's prayer in verses 11 and 12 provide an absolutely beautiful model to teach us how we should pray for our lives, for our children, for our families, for our church. First, look at the request in prayer, and in this prayer, there are two fundamental requests, and the first one is that they would live up to God's calling. That's the first thing that Paul asked, that they would live up, that God would empower them, would give them grace to live up to their calling. Look at the very first part of verse 11 again. He says, to this end, this is the purpose, this is the reason that I pray for you always, that our God may count you worthy of your calling. Now, last Sunday, we noted when we were looking at verse 5, that God's calling to salvation is not because we are worthy. God takes the unworthy, those deserving of nothing but eternal punishment, and through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection makes us worthy by canceling out our sin debt and imputing Christ's righteousness to our account. So in verse 11, Paul is not asking God to empower the church to earn their way into God's kingdom. They were already in through God's offer of unmerited grace that they had received by faith. No, Paul is asking God to empower them to live up to their calling, to live up to all that it means to be a Christian and a child of the living God, to live up to the love that took Jesus Christ to the cross to secure their salvation. This prayer is actually asking God to narrow the gap between what you were when He called you and what He called you to be. And that's what Christian growth is. It's narrowing that gap. As we live out what God has made us as new creations. Look with me at just several uh, cross-references, and I do want you to turn to these scriptures uh, for you to see what it means. What does it mean to walk worthy of our calling? What does it mean to live up to our calling as Christians? Uh, look at First Peter chapter, or second, uh, 1 Peter, that's right, 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, we're just going to look at several references, but I want you to know we could just spend uh, the rest of today, afternoon and evening, just walking through the New Testament uh, to uh, answer that question about what it means to walk worthy uh, of our calling, to live up to our calling. But I just want to give you just a, a, a sampling. Uh, look at uh, 1 Peter chapter uh, 2, look at verse 21. I wish we could look at uh, the larger context, but let's just focus on, ver- on this one verse. He says, for you have been called for this purpose. Okay, here's the reason God called you to salvation. He says, since Christ, also suffered, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to what? Follow in His steps. So why did Jesus Christ save you? So that you would follow in His steps, and to follow in His steps, even willing to suffer for Him, even willing to be wounded, that through your wounds that others would see Jesus, that others would be healed, even as we saw happen in Christ's life and ministry. You know, I love that word, example. It's one of my favorite words in the entire Greek New Testament, Uh, The word is hupogrammas. It's a a compound word, two words. It literally means an underwriting. And the way that this word was used in New Testament days, uh, let's say a a teacher was working with some very young children, uh, trying to help them learn uh, the Greek alphabet. Well, what the teacher would do, she would write the Greek alphabet on a parchment in very, very... Uh, dark ink. And then she would give the children a very uh, thin uh, piece of uh, parchment that they could lay over the teacher's original, where the children could see what the teacher had written. And then those children would, would trace over the teacher's letters. And by that means is how they taught them the alphabet in various words. And what God is saying, Jesus is your underwriting, Uh, You're to trace your life after Jesus. You're to pattern your life after Him. That's the purpose for which you were called. So to live up to your calling means what? Simply to follow Jesus. To follow in His steps, even to the point of being willing to suffer for Him. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 3. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you, notice now, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Okay, he said, Okay, I'm 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 admonishing you. I'm entreating you. I want you as a church family there in Ephesus, I want you to walk worthy of God's calling. And now, how do you do that? Look at verses 2 and 3. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What is humility? Humility is surrendering yourself To Jesus, submitting to His authority to serve His agenda, to seek His approval. What is gentleness? Gentleness is brokenness. It's releasing all of your rights, all of your expectations in life, so that you can place your focus on Jesus, because He is worthy of that focus. He is worthy of your attention. He is worthy of your affections. He is worthy of your allegiance. He is worthy to be the greatest treasure, the greatest passion and pursuit of your heart. And then notice patience. That's talking about the ability to bear up under the most difficult of suffering. And not just grit your teeth and hold on, but as you suffer, as you experience, you continue to go forward following in Christ's footsteps. And then notice forbearance and love. We did demonstrate Christ love, we're to be growing in the qualities of love. I think of 1 Corinthians 13, where that wonderful love chapter where it says love is what? long-suffering. And as it suffers, it is what? Kind. It talks about love not being easily provoked, love forgiving, not taking into account wrongs suffered. that love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes in all things, it endures all things. He wants to bring us to a place where we know a love that never fails. A love that never stops loving. A love that never retreats to bitterness and resentment and sulking and a pity party. And the notice being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We live up to our calling as we are committed to knowing unity within the church family. To knowing unity even in the midst of our diversity. Knowing a love for one another that's greater than our differences. That we don't merely tolerate one another, but we truly respect one another and receive one another unconditionally. To demonstrate to this lost world the love of Christ that He's planted within our hearts. Look at Colossians, the book of Colossians. Turn over there. This is another prayer of Paul. And and let me just pause right here. This is another prayer of Paul that really confirms that this is the way that Paul prayed. Probably the most instructive thing about this message this morning is that it teaches us how to pray. You need to take this message and ask yourself, is this the way I pray? Am I praying for God to do in my life what Paul was praying for here? Is this, how, is this how I pray for my children, for my family, for my church family? See, too often we never get beyond what? God heal so-and-so. Or God, you know, lead us to the home that we want. You know, so often it's focused on our little world and concerns. Notice, Paul's focus is Jesus Christ and living up to His calling That we would follow him as believers. Look at uh, Colossians chapter 1, this beautiful prayer, verse 9. It says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, talking about their faith, we have not ceased to pray for you. What did he pray? And ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. So Paul's first prayer request is simply that we would live up to God's calling that that gap would begin to narrow between, again, what God what we were when God called us to what God called us to be. That we would begin seeing that gap close and living up to being all that it's meant for a Christian to be, a child of the living God, living up to that love that took Jesus to the cross to secure our salvation. But look at the second request. Not only to live up to God's calling, but the second request, to live out God's works. To live out God's works. Look at the latter part of verse 11. He prays that God would fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. That would better be translated by His power. So the better translation of this verse would be that God... This is what Paul said God, would you please fulfill every desire for goodness and every work of faith by your power in the lives of the Thessalonians? The word fulfill, notice that word for me, that verb, it means to complete a process that has already been started. To complete a process that has already been started. Now listen. This is so important. This is beautiful. It's powerful truth. This prayer presupposes that God's people have been so changed, so transformed by their conversion to Christ that they begin to develop new goals, new objectives in life, new ambitions in life, new passions and desires. And they are described as what? Desires. For goodness and works of faith. Faith being the source of the desire, and goodness being their character. In other words, in other words, listen now, God works in the heart of the believer by planning desires. He sparks the motivation in your heart, in your life, for you to step out in faith and do good. For example, you begin to wonder, you know, how can I be a better witness for Christ? You know, how can I have a greater impact for Christ in my neighborhood? Or or in my workplace? Or, or at school? Or, you know, what can I do to reach these kids on my street? Or or how can I possibly start a, a Bible study? Or, you know, or, or Lord, you know you begin to wonder, how can I reach out to my neighbor who who just lost a loved one or just discovered that they have cancer? Or you begin to think about getting involved in in some existing ministry. You think, I wonder if they could use me in that area of ministry. Or, Or God even plants in your heart the vision of a new ministry to start something new to express His love to others. Now, I could go on and on and on all day with examples. My point is this, Here's the simple point. Where do you think those thoughts, those desires, and those burdens come from? They come from God. God is the one that is planning those desires for goodness in your heart. It's God that's prompting you to step out in faith and to become involved as a participant in His life and in His work. But here's the million-dollar question. Because let's be honest at this point. That's how God works. And every one of you that's an authentic believer here, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is ringing true in your heart. You've experienced this. You've experienced living life and walking through life. And suddenly God planning a, a desire to step out in faith and to get involved in some area, with some person, whatever it might be. But why... In reality, so few of these desires ever come to fulfillment. Why do most of them never see the light of day? And we see the answer in these verses. You know what it is? Prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. Listen, beloved, we discover in verse 11... That we must look to God in prayer to fulfill our good, faith-prompted desires. Or they will remain nothing more than empty dreams and good intentions. Or we may immediately get busy planning and organizing and doing while neglecting prayer. And we wonder, why do we just keep spinning our wheels, making no progress for Christ, having no impact for Christ, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord fulfills our good faith-prompted desires, they will remain either empty dreams or a lot of fruitless activity. Prayer is the means by which we appropriate God's wisdom and power To fulfill the good desires that he places upon our hearts. Now what's the application here? The greatest need in the church today. The greatest need at Edgewood Baptist Church today is prayer. It's prayer. And we need to be a people that commit ourselves to prayer. And there are many avenues, many avenues. There's the men's prayer breakfast on Saturday. There's all sorts of praying going on in small groups. We have the prayer watchman update. I do a prayer update every single week. And that is sent out on Thursdays. If you have a computer, we send it via email. If not, we mail it to you. And if you have not signed up for that, just simply call the church office and we'll get you on that list. And then we ask you just simply to pray through that each week. We have prayer meetings. Do you know how many we had in prayer meeting this past Wednesday? Nine people. We have an intercessory prayer ministry where there's the opportunity to pray 24-7. Where you to pick a slot? And if God would lay that on your heart, if that would be one of those good desires that He would plant there and want you to step out in faith, contact the church office and they'll be glad to share with you the hours that are open and for you to find a slot. And then as you go in there, there are prayer books that you work through and you commit for one hour a week there. I mean, we need to begin asking how much do do I pray individually? How much do we pray corporately as a church family? So everything comes back to prayer. The greatest impact that could ever take place in this church and in the church in America would be if we had a revival of prayer. Of true, authentic prayer. Seeing our total desperation and dependence upon God. And crying out to Him to intervene and do a miracle in our lives, in our churches. Well, we've looked at Paul's request Look with me now at the reason for prayer. The reason for prayer. And there are fundamentally two reasons. He says Christ's glorification. And then he also said the believer's glorification. So what's the reason for prayer? That Christ would be glorified and that the believers would be glorified. Look at verse 12. In order that, there's purpose. In order that, the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. And you in Him. You know, we saw in an earlier lesson that for all practical purposes, that word glorify, it means to exalt. It means to magnify. It means to reveal. It means to put on display. It means, as we sang earlier, to lift higher and higher. It's to put Jesus in the spotlight. Put Him on a pedestal where He can be marveled and admired and adored and worshipped where people will be drawn to Him, to know Him, to love Him, and to obey Him. But notice, both Christ and the believer are glorified as God empowers us through prayer to live up to our calling and live out God's works. And you know, I think Matthew five sixteen puts this all together for us. You can turn there if you would like. Most of you are very familiar with this verse about letting our light shine. But notice how this one verse sort of puts sort of wraps around this prayer and puts it all together. It says, "Let your this is Jesus speaking to his followers. This is Jesus speaking to you and I. And he says, "Let your light shine." That's the believer's glorification. As we live up To God's calling by becoming more like Jesus Christ and shining for Christ. See, our glory is not in and of ourselves. Our glory is Jesus who lives in us. Our glory is Jesus being formed in us, being displayed through us. So when it says, let your light shine before men, that's living up to God's calling by becoming like Jesus and shining for Christ. Then he goes on, on and says, in such a way that they might what? That they might see your good works. That's you stepping out in faith, doing those good things that God prompted you, as you look to Him in prayer to fulfill those desires and those actions. And that's what? Living out God's works. Living out God's works. And then How does that verse end? And glorify your Father in heaven. That's the reason for it all. See, it's through prayer. And it's through prayer alone that we plug in to God. To be lit up as a light for Christ. To be what God called us to be and to do what God called us to do. And the purpose in it all is that in the answer to the prayer that Jesus Christ would be seen. That Jesus Christ would be glorified. He would be honored. That when people would see what's happening in your life, in the church's life, they would say there's no other explanation than Jesus is in their midst. Jesus is working in them giving them that faith, giving them that love, giving them that hope, even in the midst of difficulty and suffering and persecution and reproach. And then we conclude by looking at the resource for prayer. We've seen the request for prayer, to live up to God's calling, to live out God's works. We've seen the reason for the prayer that both Jesus and the believer would be glorified in our union with one another as Christ is formed in us and displayed through us. But notice the resource for prayer is what? God's grace. God's grace. It's all God's grace beginning to end. Look at the latter part of verse 12. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by grace and grace alone that we live up to our calling, that we live out God's works. For the glory of Christ. And you say what is grace? I don't know of any better definition than Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. It says for it is God at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words it's God who's at work in the believer. He's the one that's giving you those desires. He's the one that's motivating those works of faith. And He's not only the one that plants the desires, He's not only the one that provides the motivation, but He's the one that also provides the energy and the power to see it brought to fruition, to see it fulfilled and accomplished for His honor and for His glory. Now again, as I conclude, and as we make the transition to the Lord's Supper, again, this message needs to be applied. And, and again, I've already mentioned the ways. Number one, I need to ask myself, Andy, do you pray that way? And I need to begin to reshape my prayers so that they're in harmony with the Scripture. I need to see that the Bible is to be my fuel for prayer that the best way that I can pray for my life, the best way I can pray for my family, my children, the best way I can pray for you is to take the prayers of the Bible and pray the prayers that you see here. doesn't have to be the exact words, but they serve as a model. Oh, God, God, give Edgewood Baptist Church the grace to live up to our calling, to live out God's works and all for your glory. And Lord, it's only going to be by your grace. We can't do it in our strength. We can do nothing apart from Christ. God, help us. Meet us. Use us for your honor and for your glory. And then as we come to the Lord's Supper, I think the simple question is, can we honestly say that our greatest ambition in life is to live up to our calling? to live up to all that it means for a Christian to be, all that it means to be a child of the living God. And if not, we need to have some time with God this morning, right there in the pew, turning away from the other things that have captured your heart, that are of lesser value than Christ, that have distracted you, that have pulled you away Because as we reflect on his death, burial, and resurrection, what do we discover? He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy worthy of all that we are and all that we possess.